Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Everyone, good to spend another Sabbath together. We're closing in on 125 days before Passover. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but we know how quickly time flies. It's good to be together again. In its annual list of the world's most powerful brands, business valuation consultants Brand Finance listed several companies that you would expect to see on such a list. Price Waterhouse, Google, NBC, Johnson & Johnson, Disney, Visa, Ferrari and Nike would all be names that you would expect to see on a list of most powerful brands. The list was not a list of the most valuable companies, but a list of the most powerful brands, which they defined as companies whose financial value is most impacted by their branding. At the top of the list for the last two years, so I've listed off several that you would expect to be there. At the top of the list for the last two years is Lego, believe it or not, as the most powerful brand. Lego was the brainchild of a Danish carpenter by the name of Ole Kirk Christensen, who began this in his garage, just making small wooden toys in 1932. He later, seven years later, patented the self-locking building block, which we all know and have likely, has, has anybody not at least put together two pieces of Lego? I'm not a big fan of it. That's not my thing, but I know I've played with Lego. If I've played with it, I'm sure everybody's played with it. The company was named by combining two words, a portmanteau of two Danish words meaning to play well. And we know that children from all over play with Lego. They have movies out now. They have Lego lands. They have amusement parks. If you haven't seen Lego, as I said, it's, it's the most powerful brand in the world, according to this company. Despite the influx of technology, and we heard all of those companies that are up there in the, in the list of powerful brands, this basic toy made up of building blocks remains a multi-billion dollar company whose branding is known worldwide. When we look at life's basic building blocks, we think of the cell. The cell is the most basic of building blocks in human life, in, in life, not just human life, in life. Which, while in existence since creation, obviously, was unknown to us until Robert Hooke discovered them under his microscope in 1655, 1665. Since then, cells are the same building blocks in life that they have always been. But we understand them so much better than Robert Hooke ever did. He first noticed them. He first grasped this concept. But in the ensuing 350 years, we know so much more about them. They're not just these plasma-filled circular things that he saw. They are filled with DNA and mitochondria and all these little things that you, I'm sure, have studied in biology. And we know so much more and how deeper our, our understanding is of just how majestic creation is. But the building blocks have never changed. It is still the cell. We just understand them better. The same can be said for our understanding of the Bible. The basics have never changed. The basics have been the same. We just understand them more. A few weeks ago, I revisited our study on the one another verses. From our perspective now, five years down the road, with all that we've learned over the course of the five years we've been together here, part of our foundation as a body is, has, have been our core values of care, courtesy, and consideration. As we grow, both numerically as we add new members to our community, which we have some amongst us, and as we grow from a character standpoint, where we are more like Christ now than we were five years ago or three years ago, it is easy to forget the basics. And as we continue to grow as a congregation, it's important that we 
sometimes go back and look at some of our core values, some of the, what, the basics that make us who we are, that we strive to be more like Christ. And why these key qualities of character mark the children of God. That's what I'd like to do today. Is let's take a moment, let's go back and look at these three characteristics that we've called our core values that mark us as children of God. How are we doing at them? Where can we be better? What do they what do they really mean? Let's look at the first one which we've called care. We'll begin in Ephesians 4 as you can see. Actually it doesn't say Ephesians 4. It actually says 1 Peter 3 verse 8, but we're going to go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. just going to jump in at verse 32 where we find this characteristic enumerated here for us Ephesians 4 verse 32 and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you much to glean from here and especially in the context of what Ephesians 4 is all about which we will get into a little bit but this word kind which we have extracted from this verse and used the English word care, is the Greek word krestos. And it's used seven times in the New Testament. And it means to be mild, pleasant, benevolent, or not burdensome. Almost reminds me of the Hippocratic Oath that tells doctors to at least do no harm. So it's a requirement here to a reminder to be mild, to be pleasant, to be benevolent, and don't be burdensome. Don't, don't increase someone's stress upon them. And we see here in the, in the light of what Paul is talking about here is really what it means to become like Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 25. Therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We are, we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And again, we, as, we, as we see this, these are all concepts that keep coming back to us as we read various aspects in various parts of Scripture. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And we see here what we just read in verse 32, being talked about here in this, this meaning of this word, krestos, to not be burdensome. In addition to being mild and pleasant, not to be burdensome. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30, by which you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Again, a reminder why we must forgive one another. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. Let's go back and have a look at Genesis 4 with this concept of, of care or being kind, pleasant, and benevolent to one another. Genesis chapter 4. We know this obviously as this, the story of the first physical murder where Cain took the life of his brother Abel. Verse 6, God came upon Cain and asked him why he was angry. Genesis 4, verse 6. And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God sort of getting in on the front side to help Cain through some of his feelings. He was obviously still feeling some anger. Cain talked with Abel, verse 8, his brother, and it came to pass with him in the field, as we certainly know, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The Lord came upon him again and said, Where is Abel, your brother? 
instantly he gets defensive and said, what, what do you mean, where is he? Am I his keeper? I just asked you where he was. Am I his keeper? Let's go to Jude. With that in mind, let's go to the book of Jude, the letter from Jude. With this in mind, Cain instantly becoming defensive, saying, am I, am I his keeper? You're God, you know. Where do you... You don't, need, you don't need to answer that question. Am I his keeper? The letter from Jude. And again, we'll jump into the context here a little bit. Uh, let's uh, pick it up in verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. And again, talking about, if you go back to verse 8, talking about those who reject authority and, and are apostate in mind, uh, working against, uh, against God's people and against the, the way of God and the way of Christ. And here, Jude pulls out three examples from the Old Testament. Woe to them, verse 11, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Of all of the examples in the Old Testament, Jude first pulls out Cain, the one who was all about serving himself and being me-focused. And this is listed first alongside these horrendous examples of Balaam and Korah. But Jude pulls this out and lists him first. One of the very first examples of someone who was obviously after his father and his mother and we talked about that in, in recent months. But here he's highlighting this way of Cain, that there is a way that we are when we are self-focused and me-focused. And that certainly goes against this concept that Paul was talking about of, be, of caring for others and being kind. Let's go to Luke 6 and see this word, this word Christos being used again by Christ himself. Luke 6, and we'll jump into the middle of this message that Christ was, was speaking with his apostles. Verse 32 of Luke 6, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Again, understanding this is basic Christianity that he's introducing, introducing us to here as he begins his ministry. For even sinners lend it to sinners to receive as much back. So in these examples, obviously, what appears to be kind on the outside is really not kind at all and, and counts for nothing in God's eyes. Verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Do good to your enemies and give of yourself, hoping just for the, the opportunity to do good and, and without hope of, of receiving anything in return. And your reward will be great. And if you do this, you will be sons of the Most High. For he, this Most High, this Almighty God, the, the Father that we worship, he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. We want to become like him. We want to adhere this word kind is the same word krestos that is describing the most high. So in this example here, as Christ is pointing us to wanting to become the sons of God, the one characteristic he draws out initially is this characteristic of being kind and caring. And if we are kind and caring, we will be the sons of God. We will be the children of God. What part of what makes him the most high is this basic value of kindness and caring. Hoping for nothing in return. That describes Jesus Christ himself and his sacrifice. He came without hope of anything. 
and really, really didn't need to come at all. If you go back to verse 17 from our studies in Luke, if you were, if you have kept up with the studies on Wednesday night, you will see that this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is what was described in the studies as the Sermon on the Plain. It came after the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 17, when he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and, and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, he came to hear them and be healed of their diseases. And again, we go through there and see that he repeated some of these same teachings that Matthew records while he was up on the mount, down here on, on, on the level place as Luke describes it here. So important that he repeats again some of the very same things he talked to the disciples about back in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Like this basic concept of becoming like the Most High by focusing on being caring and kind. These items that we see here, both here in Luke 6 and back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, form the basis of his teachings, of what he would for the next three and a half years come to teach us about what it means to become more like him, what it means to, to have the, put on the likeness of God and to put on the mind of Christ. Let's go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Verse 25, we'll pick up the account in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We all know what a yoke is, I believe. We would, all, we would all know. Maybe our young folks don't know what a yoke is. You've probably seen, if you go back to, if you've ever seen the show Little House on the Prairie, you've seen teams of oxen that are, that are controlled by this giant crossbeam that, that gives the operator a, a way for, to guide these, these oxen in the way that they should go. Keeps them together and moving in the same direction. God's ways are like that. We see here Christ saying in verse 30, my yoke is easy. That is the same word, krestos, that is used in, in being kind or benevolent or pleasant. God's ways are like this. Despite there being some restriction, because a yoke does restrict, it does, it does keep us bound in some sort of direction, headed towards some, some purposeful goal, together with the rest of the team, it's an easy burden to take on because God's ways are kind. It may initially feel burdensome until you start on the process and realize that God's, ways, God's burdens aren't burdensome at all. God's yoke is easy. It is kind. And when Christ asks us of things to do things, we can be guaranteed that it is kind, it is benevolent, it is pleasant, it is not more than we would are able to take on. God's ways and his laws are like that, as we should be in the church and in our families, that whatever yoke, whatever burden we ask of each other is kindness. It is pleasant. It is not an overly taxing burden. Decent. God's ways provide ask us to be decent and orderly within the confines of his expectations with the realization that his burden is easy. It is pleasant. 
it is kind. Let's go to Matthew 25. Let's go to Matthew 25. We talked, we mentioned this last week, in our message last week, that talking about separating the sheep from the goats. I'd like to go back and have a look at this again in terms of this message that we're talking about today. Verse 31. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. We talked last week about Christ having something that will, will indicate to us what separates us. Who is working for him and who is not working for him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And rightfully, they answer him a little confused. Say, when did we see you, Lord? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in, or see you naked and give you clothing? In verse 40, the king, Christ, answers and says, As surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to the least of these of my brethren, you did it to me. What separates the sheep from the goats is our level of care. That's what separates. That's what will help Christ determine who is on his right and who is on his left. And that is his, our level of care. When we care for others, we care for Christ. When we care for others, we care for Christ. Let's go to Galatians 5. We'll move on to courtesy. Courtesy is our second core value. We'll go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. In verse 13, we'll pick it up, we'll start in verse 13. Kate read part of this. She read more than this. We're not going to right now go through all of what she read. Verse 13 of Galatians 5. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, been called to freedom. Only do not use this freedom, this liberty, as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So through love, serve one another. And from this, we've extracted this quality called courtesy. This word serve, from which we are basing, basing this core value around this verse as a, as, a, as a key text, is the Greek word douleo, douleo. And it means to be a slave to, to submit to, or to yield to. So we, can, we understand submit and slave. Those have two definite connotations. But to yield to is an additional connotation that this really refers to. And let's go back to Matthew 6, back to the Sermon on the Mount this time, if not the Sermon on the Plain, as I believe it was, it was dubbed in the Bible study. We'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. This concept of servitude, submission, and yielding to one another as part and parcel of what it means to be courteous. Matthew 6, again, back to Christ's kickoff of his ministry here with the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And we see here Christ really breaking things down as we are very familiar with. There being really two ways. Our way and God's way, light and darkness, give and get, love and hate. Really this dichotomy that Christ is highlighting that is his way versus the way of of the adversary. Then he goes down into verse 24 where he brings this concept of of duleo, duleo, or servitude into, into the equation. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So here, makes sense. We've read this many, many times. Christ here includes this teaching on service right back in his opening message to his disciples. But notice something as he walked us through. Right from verse 19, talking about treasures in heaven, that we either have treasures on earth or treasures on heaven. We either are walking in light or walking in darkness. We either serving God or we're serving mammon. What I notice when I read this is that we aren't really free. We aren't really free at all. We are free to choose whom we serve, but we serve something. This, we aren't born into a life of complete freedom. We are actually born into a life of service. Service is part and parcel of the human walk. The freedom is we get to choose whom we serve. And like a good parent, that's, that, that is how you provide your kids with choice. They don't get free run of choosing anything they want. A good parent will say, well, here, here are a couple of things. You choose. And this enables a child to learn how to make freedom of choice within the control of parenthood. And we see here God has done that. Choose God or choose mammon. But the human condition is one of servitude. Not just part of the Christian walk, but part of the human walk. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30, and we'll see this. This is Moses talking to the children, the second generation of Israelites, before he takes leave of this life and they move on into the promised land, having already gathered them together and given them the law again. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. We studied quite a bit about that back at the the Holy Days. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 30 as Moses' retelling of the law to this group of people is coming to an end, as is his life. Verse 1 of chapter 30. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So again, putting out here the fact that God has laid out before them this incredible choice. And they have all, they they have everything within their, their realm of knowledge, what they've heard, what they've been able to to garner from Moses' teaching to make a sound decision. Let's skip over to verse 15 and pick it up in verse 15 where Moses continues, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. 
you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. Freedom to choose. Freedom to choose life or freedom to choose death. Freedom to choose God's way or freedom to choose the adversary's way. This is the greatest choice of all, the freedom to choose who we serve. We'll go. I do want to go into depth at some point in the future on this concept of freedom to choose, so we're not going to dive too deeply into this right now. But it is important to note that we are born into a life of service. We just need to choose who that will be. Let's go back to Galatians 5 with that in mind. Because this concept of of choosing who we serve is made plain here by Paul. We've already read this, but I'd like to go back and read it again. Verse 13 of Galatians 5. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. There's that choice. I'm giving you freedom to choose. You can choose to serve your own needs, or you can serve to, cho- to serve. You can choose to serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This concept here is further magnified by Paul as he breaks down this choice between serving the self and serving others. And here, Paul breaks the entire law of God down into one word, love. And when we consider this choice in those terms, that we have the, cho- we have the freedom to choose who we will love and who we will serve, Paul presents a related choice. Serve yourself or serve others. And here, Paul points to, interestingly, that he points to this obscure part of the law in Leviticus 19, that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of all the law, it says it's summed up right there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can also include, as we know Christ did, the first commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. But here Paul points to this one little obscure part of the law. He says it's all centered here because it's all about who you serve. It's all about who you love. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Here James also presents this contrast of being self-seeking or seeking righteous service. We'll begin in verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Again, our conduct reflects our attitude, reflects our belief system. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Our conduct reflects the character that we have. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, there's this dichotomy here, where self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. We can choose that, but he certainly educates us enough to let us know what the consequences would be. But the wisdom, verse 17, that is from above, that wisdom. There's earthly wisdom that is all about self-seeking. Or there's the wisdom that is above, is from above. It is peaceable. It is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 
Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again here, he uses this phrase that helps us really break down this attitude, and that is being willing to yield. Be willing to yield. When we consider this concept of service or servitude or being a slave to one another or submitting to one another, we can really practice that by simply learning how to yield. Learning how to yield. How many remember this book? This was, uh, we studied this back in our uh, uh, infancy, probably about year two or so. It's a book called I Am a Church Member. And when we had our family fellowship, we took six months of family fellowship and walked through this, this book called I Am a Church Member. And for those of you who, who weren't there, it's an excellent, excellent source to realize what it really means to be part of a congregation. And if you recall, the third lesson that we learned, the third lesson that we, that we learned was, I will not let church be about my preferences or desires. This was teaching us this concept of being willing to yield. And you may recall, I'd just like to read part of this here. Typically, it's easier to sign a commitment on paper than it is to practice that commitment in reality. And if you recall at the end of each section, if you, if you were part of that study, there was a pledge at the end of each chapter that we that he asked the, the reader to commit to, to becoming a, a positive contributing member to the congregation that they were in. You need a fair warning before you take this third step. It won't be long after making this commitment that you will come across a fellow church member whose attitude is, well, nothing like the attitude of Christ. They may tell you what's wrong with the music or the preaching or the pastor, it will be tempting to chew them out or to tell, the, tell them to let go of their lousy attitude. And while a gentle rebuke may be in order, you need to remember something about your commitment. This cantankerous and ornery church member is one of those you have pledged to serve. My point is that these, these commitments are not easy. Just to say the words, I will not let church be about my preferences and desires, that's easy to say. To put it into practice, as he says here, is, is hard. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road in becoming more like Christ. So pray, he continues here, for strength, his strength and his wisdom. And when you think you've had it with making sacrifices for others, remember the sacrifice of Christ. Remember the sacrifice of Christ. As you are overwhelmed by Christ's undeserved love for you that caused him to sacrifice everything, including his preferences, you will be able to do the same for others. So part of what we've just, what we have described as our core values is this courtesy, this willingness to yield to others, to submit, to serve others as part of our basic core foundational values. Let's go now to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll move on to the third value of consideration. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 is the scripture we extracted for this value. And we see here Paul pens it this way. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And this Greek word kataneo, kataneo, means to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes upon, or to fix one's mind upon, to perceive or to understand. And there are those amongst us, and we all, as we know, we've studied this concept of spiritual gifts, that we're all at different levels of these values. We, we, some of us are better at considering, some of us are better at caring, some of us are better at, at courtesy, and as a congregation, that's where God puts us all together for the benefit of the body. There are those that really get the concept of considering others, who are attentive to detail, attentive to the needs of others. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. Again, back to the Sermon on the Mount. 
Luke also covers it in that later exchange on the plain. Matthew 7 is where we'll go. But this concept of being attentive to the needs of others, to fix your eyes upon them or keep your mind focused on the needs of others. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. And we see the same word, katneo, used here. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you not, do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Christ here is presenting a clear contrast. What exactly are we being attentive to in our brethren? Their faults or their needs? Their faults or their needs? Is it a plank that I'm looking to extract from my brother's eye? Or is it a speck I want them to help them out with because I've been there before and I have care, courtesy, and consideration for them? Knowing all the while that I've got these large planks in my own eyes that I need to extricate. But it is this concept of consideration where we're, we're learning how to be to pay attention, be to, the English word is considered, so it's hard to come up with a better word, but to, to perceive, to have a, a perception of what others' needs are. And that is this concept of consider, considering others. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. We learn this concept of considering others when we build up to and celebrate the Passover which is in 125 days, as I mentioned at the start of this message. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, if you haven't heard Pastor Adrian's message on discerning the Lord's body, given a few years ago, goes into deeper, uh, much more in depth, and I'm sure we will do the same as we head towards Passover later this calendar, this this uh, holy year. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Part of being part of the congregation means we need to be discerning of one another's needs and attentive to one another's needs. And that's this concept of being considerate. For this reason, verse 30, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And again, we can go back to that crino, diacrino, and anacrino here. And what he's saying here is if we discern our own actions, if we examine ourselves, this anacrino, we would not put ourselves in a position of being judged by God, that word crino. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned by the world. Therefore, my brethren, part of this whole considering the needs of others, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, tarry for one another, as, as the King James Version describes. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and, I will, and the rest I will set in order when I come. We practice this concept of being attentive to one another. And that is a key core foundational value that we have committed to being. Considerate of one another. I have a question. Without looking. Let's close our eyes for a minute. Who's not here today? Who's not here today? Would you be able to list everyone on a piece of paper? that isn't here today, that we would consider part of our body. If not, we, we need to work a little bit more on our consideration. Feel free to open your eyes. Can you list everyone who's not here today? John Donne, one of my favorite pieces of poetry, wrote that no man is an island. And he wrote this, actually, while recovering from a nearly fatal illness. No man is an island, entire and of itself. 
Every man is a piece of the continent and a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And this concept is completely applicable within the body. Because of this concept of consideration. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 and see that. We don't need to go there. We're there. Paul continues this to expand his explanation on the importance of the body. And understanding the importance everyone plays. And when we understand the importance that everyone plays in the body, this is consideration. This is practicing this quality of consideration. Verse 12 of chapter 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Wherever we came from, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we now find ourselves part of the body and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And really what we're seeing here is those who play the part of a foot or a hand or an eye being concerned about their reputation and what they are providing to the body, rather than just simply serving the body, considering what the body needs and providing the service that the eye, the foot, or the hand provides. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. When we understand this concept of consideration, it allows us to serve the body with the gifts and where God places us in that body. The body needs the works and the service of everyone, not just me. When I get that concept, when I get the concept that the body needs everyone's service, not just my service, that is when we will have this concept of consideration, and this, that this core value of consideration will be stronger in us. Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body who seem to be weaker are necessary. That's where we're attentive. And we say, you know what? That, that, that is just an important part of the member as anything I would provide. And those members of the body which think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to the part that lacks it that there should be no schism in the body and that the members should have the same care for one another, the same care, the same courtesy and consideration. And if one member suffers, as John Dunn pointed out in that poem, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The body needs the works of all of us, not just ourselves. Care, courtesy, and consideration have been identified by our community as part of our basic fiber, part of what makes us the body of Christ, some of the basic building blocks. And there are many, many, many basic building blocks that we could have extracted from here. But as a group, we extracted those three. As a reminder of what it means to become like Christ, where can we start on our journey to become Christ-like, to become, to put on the mind of Christ, to put on the likeness of God? As with the cell, there's so much more to understand than just care, courtesy, and consideration. Just like when Hook discovered the cell, he had no idea what he was discovering. And over the course of 350 years, we know so much more than Robert Hook ever knew about the cell. Here, these concepts help us understand the basics of what it means to be Christ-like concepts he taught us from the very beginning of his ministry. We went back and checked. These concepts were right there from the very beginning of his ministry. And then he built on them. Let's finish up in Galatians 5. Galatians 5. 
begin in verse 16. And we'll see here how Paul brings all of this together. On the heels of verse 13 and 14, which we read, I say then, verse 16 of Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life. It's the same. That's all Paul is saying. He's just reiterating the choice Moses, God, put before us through Moses. Walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Because there's a, it's a dichotomy. There, there, there's a choice of two. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under the penalty of the law. We read, we won't take time to go through it here, but we see the works of the flesh now contrasted against the fruit of the Spirit, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, verses 19 through 23. Verse 24, Paul continues, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are Christ's have made that choice. We have made that choice. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So as we consider our core values, and we revisit these concepts like our one another message, like some of the other messages we've been uh, either revisiting or hinting at or trying to bring back into where we are now five years later as we are more mature, as we are five years further along in our growth, let's remember to keep each other on point, moving together towards the return of Christ, striving to become more like him with each passing day. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.